After that, I think we should just close in prayer. I can't say it any better than that. They put this thing on me. I guess I figured out you do this in California. So if anybody says anything wrong, they send them a shock. I don't know if I have to turn it on or anything. I don't know anything about these buttons. All right, it's on, they say. I hope I am. I brought this because I want to remind myself to take a picture of you all. So I'm going to ask you, you got to come back to Spain with us. And the way I'm going to do that is you're going to all come up here right afterwards. I don't take a long time. It'll just take me about two seconds after you get organized. And I'll take your picture, and then you'll all be coming back to Spain with us. That'll be nice. We're going to look at Acts chapter 16 this morning. I'm really pleased to be here, grateful for the invitation. Wish it could be longer. I got to catch a plane tomorrow back to North Carolina. And November the 11th, Lord willing, we're heading back to Spain. How many people speak Spanish here today? Ajá, algunos cuantos. Está bien. Entonces, ¿qué les parece si tenemos la reunión en español y los demás que se fastidien? So we'll just have the meeting in Spanish and the rest of them can figure out what to do. Well, that's the way it is when you go to another country. When you go to another country, you listen to everything in a language you don't understand and trying to figure it out. And so when people come here, that's what they go through. So maybe we should do that and let the rest of them see what it feels like. But no, I'm not going to do that. We're going to go into English. And I just want to mention, i got to get all my little announcements out of the way here. I don't want to preach about what we've been doing in Spain. I didn't come here to talk about me and about us. And I, I realize it's important to, to share and to talk about what's going on so that people can pray. But I prefer to preach from the Word of God. So what I did was just uh, made up a little thing here that tells some information about Spain, gives a map where we were, explains a little bit about the history of the work. We're moving down to Seville. Now we're going from one end of Spain to the other. There's a, a church established now in the city that we were in for 16 years. They have Spanish elders. They don't need me, and that's a good thing. And so I'm leaving. They can do their work. And we still have fellowship, but we're going to be down at the other end of Spain now. So these are on the table out there. And then there's another one. Uh, this one says, Pray for Belize. How many people here in less than uh, one minute? could tell me exactly, point out on a map exactly where Belize. Don't look at the map here. There's a few who could. Okay. A lot of people can't. It's your neighbor. It's down in Central America. Very close. Two-hour flight from Miami. Uh, I don't know how long in a boat. I haven't tried that yet. Belize is an English-speaking country that I have been to four times in the last year. And there are, so, there are five little churches down there, English-speaking and one Spanish-speaking. And I asked them, when I go and visit them, they call me now their roving ambassador for Belize. I really love the people down there. But I asked them, I said, what should I tell people in the States when I ask them to pray for Belize? And they said, we just feel like we're in a forgotten corner of the world. And uh, we don't have any, the missionaries are gone we had somebody who was doing work full-time for the Lord, and he died, and now there's nothing. There's no one helping us, and we can't even get the, the calendars. The, our daily bread calendar doesn't even reach them. So if you have uh, uh, English literature that you're not using, gospel tracts or calendars, devotional calendars, or you have tapes of preaching or music that you're not listening to anymore, you can send it down there. In fact, even better, you can take it down there. It's an English-speaking country. 
lot of people are, are uh, sort of frightened by missionary work because they think, well, I'd have to learn a language, and I can't do that. You don't have to learn a language to go to Belize. You can walk off of the plane and talk to everyone in the country. Everyone speaks English. So pick up one of these, please, and, and that's the least I can ask you to do is to pray for the Lord's work in Belize. And I hope you'll take the time to go through it, read it, digest it a little. There's some email addresses and other addresses if you want to correspond with people. But that's between you and the people in Belize. I'm passing the ball on to you now, and I hope you'll be able to do something with it. Now let's get into the Word of God. Acts 16. We have a ways to go here. That song was excellent. That song was right in line with what we're going to be looking at this morning. First 15 verses. And we didn't know. They didn't know what I was going to preach about, and I didn't know what they were going to sing about. But there is someone who knows. You know who the director of ministry is in the church? It's the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they know how to do things right, don't they? Acts chapter 16, you'll have to excuse me, I, I could have read you in my other Bible, which is Spanish, but since uh, I figure you read English, well, the only Bible I have in English is my old King James. I grew up on it, it doesn't bother me, but if you don't understand it, just raise your hand or ask for a, another translation. I'm going to read the first 15 verses. If I, if I say a word funny, go ahead and laugh, because my grandmother taught us how to say all these words. When I was growing up, she was a school teacher, and she taught us how to read phonetics. Then I went to Spain, and you don't say any of those things that way anymore. So now I don't know how you say them in English. But I'm just going to read it, and uh, you smile if I say it wrong. Verse 1, the word of the Lord says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, of the son of a, of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were in Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have go forth with him, and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and the colony. And we were in the city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, 
If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Let's have a word of prayer. Once again, Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bow and we ask your help and blessing as we look into the Word of God. We're thankful to have a book here that is full of the pure thoughts of God and not mixed with anything that man has said. And we do pray that as we look into it and we ask and we insist that you have complete liberty to speak to us. For you know us, all of us, where we come from, who we are, what our lives are like, and what we need. You know us better than we know ourselves. And we pray this morning that you would give to each one from your word what is needful. And that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified in all. For we ask it in his name. Amen. When I am dying, how glad I shall be that the lamp of my life has been blazed out for thee. I shall not regret one thing that I gave, money or time, one sinner to save. I shall not mind that the way has been rough, that thy blessed feet led the way for me is enough. When I am dying, how glad I shall be that the lamp of my life has blazed out for thee. Harry Ironside wrote that. Well, Paul could have written it. And as we look into the book of Acts, and we look in particular into chapter 16, we're looking at the life, we're coming into the middle of it, the life and the ministry of a man who before was the servant of men. But one day on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And down on his knees and down on his face and prostrate, he said, That thing that God wants to hear all of us say. Lord, what would you have me to do? And he stopped being the boss of his life. And he stopped being a follower of men. And he turned his life over to someone who knew better than him how a life should be lived. And you could say in a few words that that really is the message of the Bible, isn't it? That God has a plan for my life, and the trouble with my life is I want my plan for my life. And all of our troubles come by the conflict between my will and God's will. And so as long as that conflict is there, we're going to have difficulties in one way or another. And sometimes we learn to smooth them over, dress them up, we surf them, we try to get where we want to in life in spite of all the difficulties. But it's a wonderful thing to come to the place in life where you just say, Lord... And you get down in that low place like Paul and you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to stop telling you what I want you to let me do. And I'm going to listen to you to see what you want me to do. Well, we have this uh, chapter before us, or the first half or the first third of the chapter, that explains to us part of the life and the ministry of this man who did that and the lives of other people that he touched. The book of Acts is full of it. How he went from place to place. How he was triumphant in conflicts. And how the gospel reached the lives of other people through the, the obedience of a man who got down on his knees one day and turned his life over to the Lord. Who knows what God can do with your life if you just let him have it and do what he wants to. 
I'd like to think about this uh, section that we're going to look at under a few different headings. We'll divide it up for those of you who like to have outlines and all, and then we're just going to pick up some of the points that can apply to us and can encourage us and help us. And then you'll have to go back and study the rest of it out all on your own. First of all, the first five verses, we have the choice of Timothy to go with Paul. He, find, he goes back to Derby and Lystra. He finds Timothy, and he takes him, and he involves him now in the ministry. That's in the first five verses. And then in verses 6 to 10, we have guidance from God. Whereas they come to this place in, in life and ministry where certain doors are shut, where they've done everything they know to do, and so now they're waiting for God to show them what to do, and he does send his guidance to them. That's verses 6 to 10. Then we have in verses 11 and 12, their arrival in Philippi and the beginning of the ministry there. How they got there and what happened when they first arrived. And then we have finally in the, these last uh, verses 13 to 15, the conversion of Lydia and her household. So we'll say the first conversion, when things begin to come together there in the work in Philippi. So let's go back to verse 1 and begin to go through it. A lot of names, a lot of places here. And uh, sometimes we read through it and we think, well, why do I need to know about Phrygia and Galatia and Mycenae and Bithynia and get to the meat? Where's the beef? No, but all of these things the Lord has put in here because he has something to say to us through them. And so we don't run over them. We stop and we walk through them and we take out of them the lessons that are for our lives. So let's go back to the first five verses, the choice of Timothy. It says, then he came to Derby and Lystra. Well, now, if you've studied the New Testament, or if you've read the book of Acts a couple of times, you know that that's the place where Paul was stoned and left for dead. So the first thing I'd like to say, just by reading that, then he came to Derby and Lystra. The first thing I think of is his boldness, that he would go back to a place where he'd been persecuted and not just persecuted, but where they had left him for dead. And where only by a miracle of God was he raised up and able to go on. Paul was not a man who was intimidated. He lost his fear of man when he came face to face with the Lord Jesus. And he says in Galatians, um, let's just turn there and read that verse. In Galatians chapter 1, because it gives us a glimpse into his attitude. Galatians 1, uh, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He had it very clear. He got his orders from God. And Paul was delivered from being exactly what he was before. Before he became a believer in Jesus Christ, he was a man pleaser. He did what the chief priests wanted him to do. And he was their favorite son, I'm sure. He did everything just the way they wanted. But there came a day in his life when he had to learn, and he did learn, thankfully, that there was somebody more important to please. A lot of people have trouble with that. They go through life worrying about pleasing everyone around them, and they never think about pleasing God. And, and God is, is someone you think about pleasing on Sunday. But then there's those other six days of the week and all the struggles and difficulties where we're not really thinking about that. And this is what happened to Paul. He became such a, a concerned person for pleasing, with pleasing God. And this concept dominated his life. He lived, really. And that is the Christian life, isn't it? 
to please God. Didn't the Lord teach us that? What did he say to the disciples in Matthew when he taught them to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. My will be done. Is that what it says? No. <laughs> he taught us that, didn't he? I knew I couldn't trick you. Yeah, but we trick ourselves those other six days of the week sometimes, don't we? Spend a lot of time in prayer saying, my will be done. Thy will be done. And the Lord sent Paul to serve him. And he wasn't afraid to go back to a place like Derby and Leicester. And you and I sometimes give in to intimidation. Uh, people don't respond like we would like for them to. Uh, life is full of surprises. You share your testimony with somebody and they put the slam dunk on you. Uh, you get ostracized. You get attacked, criticized, ridiculed. Uh, all kinds of things can happen. It's an unpleasant situation. But you never know But what if you're bold in the Lord to be able to go back a second time to a place or a person like that. You might find a pleasant surprise. I'm glad, and I'm sure Paul is, that he went back to Derby and Leicester. Because there he found a disciple. The first time he was there, he found a lot of stones. Or they found him. And the second time he was there, he found good ground. He found this surprise waiting for him. A disciple named Timothy, it says. His mother was a Jewish and a believer, it says. And his father was a Greek. That means a Gentile. He was not a Jew. But now look at verse 2. He says, He was well reported of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So the brethren, the Christians in that area, and that's, that's a good Bible name, you know, the brethren, small b. Uh, those names we have in the New Testament, believer, uh, saint, uh, brother, disciple, Christian, all those names apply to all the believers. Those are not denominations. It's not like going to the cafeteria and getting your tray and picking what you like. Well, I think I prefer to be called. No, all of those names belong to all of us. And in the New Testament, they never took any name, a, a denominational name or any other kind of name that, that separated them from any other uh, person who was a follower of Christ. They all had these names. And each of those names emphasizes a different thing. But the least used of all of them is Christian. And that's the most used today. What do they call him here? In verse 1, go back to verse 1, they call him a certain disciple. There he's a disciple. They use the word brethren here in verse 2. And so you see how the Holy Spirit takes these words and he uses them interchangeably. He's teaching us something. So Timothy's a believer. But Timothy's not a believer like an astronaut floating around out in space on an umbilical cord all by himself. Timothy's a believer in fellowship with other believers. And that's important. When a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, he's in a family. We're not saved like astronauts floating around out in space by ourselves. We're in a family. We belong to a group. And here he was. Uh, the brethren knew him, and he wasn't tooting his own horn. He had a good testimony before them. You see, that's what other people say when they know us. They observe our lives. It's what testimony they give about us not what we want them to think we are but what because in our time of fellowship together as a family in the Lord they see in us 
And the brethren saw things they liked in Timothy. You know, and if you see something you like in another believer, that's the kind of thing you talk about. Instead of going around talking about the things you don't like. I don't like this one did this and this one did that and the way this one dresses and the way that one behaves. And find the things that are of good report and talk about them. And think about it. And this, and this is what happened here. So Paul goes, and how does he know now about Timothy? Well, he sees him, apparently. He sees that he's a disciple. But then it says here in verse 2 that he was well reported of. Paul saw him, that he was following the Lord, but he heard. And he said, that's the kind of man I'm looking for. If you're faithful in what God has given you to do right where you are, then you'll find out if God has something more for you. If he wants to further, and maybe it won't be going away somewhere like that, but maybe he has another step or phase in your Christian life. Maybe he has some other involvement in ministry or lessons that he wants you to learn or help that you can give to other people. But first of all, you've got to be faithful right where the Lord has put you. Amen. Timothy never went off to seminary. Timothy learned right there. Excuse me if I stepped on anybody's toes with that. But I, I've been there, and I know what it is. It's a meat market. Some things good happen there, but you can find some things good in the trash can, too, if you look around long enough. Timothy never went to seminary. Timothy learned in the local church where God put the gifts. He gave the gifted men so that the saints could be perfected for the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 tells us. And if the people who have been gifted by God will get in the churches and do the work that God has given them to do there... Then they'll find people like Timothy and others who can be encouraged and helped right there where they're supposed to be able to get it. He shouldn't have to leave. And he didn't have to leave. So he's a faithful follower of the Lord. And now he's going to leave. He's not going to leave to go off to school. He's going to leave to go be discipled, to be, we say, sometimes Paul's shadow. He's going to follow him along. He's going to learn with him by doing, not so much by classes, but by doing. Along with him, just go along, carry his suitcase, be with him, observe how he talks, how he treats people, how he reacts when different circumstances come into his life. And he's growing and learning as he goes along with Paul. That's what discipleship is all about. So he says, him would Paul have go forth with him. Paul desired him. And so he takes him. And off they go in verses, uh, he's circumcised because his mother was a Jew. And that way the Jews couldn't say anything. And then you come down to verses 4 and 5, and they're off going to the different churches and delivering all of those decrees that came out of chapter 15. In chapter 15 of Acts, there was a big meeting in Jerusalem because there were certain people who had come out and said, Now, um, you need to not only believe the gospel, but be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. So they had a big meeting there to decide if that was true, if that was the gospel or not. And the decision was... We didn't hear any gospel like that from the Lord. And that is not the gospel. And the gospel is salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. Can't add to it. There's nothing that we can do. Religion says do this. The gospel says it's been done already by somebody. And so this is what they were going in and telling people. The decrees to keep that were ordained to the apostles and elders... What was the result? The churches were established. The churches were strengthened. It means their roots got put down. They were stronger. They were more stable and firm. And they increased in number daily. And they weren't increasing in number like happens 
in Western society, a lot of times people are continually transferring from one church to another. This was growth by conversion. This, these were people who were coming to know Christ as a result of the testimony of the saints who lived in that area. And so the churches are growing. This is the first part here then. Paul chooses Timothy. He shows boldness in going back there. He shows wisdom in taking a promising young man and taking him with him. And then you see their faithfulness to all the things that have been decided. And they're going and declaring those and strengthening the churches. Now they come to this difficult part here in verses 6 to 10. Where it seems like the doors are closing. But God is going to give them guidance, isn't he? They don't know it. And this happens to us also. Happens to you. Happens to me. We don't even know. Well, I, when I say this, the ladies always laugh because they know. I say, we don't even know we're going to eat for lunch today. But the ladies already know, most of them. But you know what I'm saying? How, how little we see and know of the future. And yet we're so certain that we're the best ones to direct our own lives. I know what's best for me. God knows what's best for you. God can see around the corner, and we can't. And so they're going along here, and you see all these names of cities. It says in verse 6, forbidden of the Holy Ghost. In verse 7, the Spirit uh, suffered them not or did not permit them. So the first one is a forbidding. And that's saying no. Don't touch this. Or like the stewardess on Southwest Airlines, you know, when they pulled into the... Somebody was telling me about this. They pulled in, I think it was at Dallas, and they weren't up to the gate yet, and everybody starts to take their seatbelt off. Well, there's a standard announcement that most airlines make, you know, about please remain seated until the pilot is and all that. She didn't do that. She just picked up the microphone and said, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Everybody already knew the announcement. Well, that's what it means, forbidden. Ah, ah, ah. So they couldn't go. How did he tell them that? We don't know. But they're sure that they are forbidden to go there. And in the next verse he says uh, they were not permitted. That means withheld. Things didn't work out. You're trying to go. And you have a, we would say we have a flat tire or I ran out of gas. Or I couldn't get permission. Something is not working out. So they're sensitive to this. And they pass by and they come down to Troas. And Troas is like Land's Inn. No, not the clothing place. But lands in, like what we have in Spain, the Romans named it, where you get out the, the furthest part, the western part of Galicia, and there's this little piece of land that sticks out in the sea, and the Romans walked out there, and, and they looked, and it's just ocean. And they sailed their little boats out into the sea, and there were no islands or anything. So they turned around, and they came in, and they said, end of land here. Land ends here. Well, Troas is like that. You go through Turkey, and you get to this place when you're on the western side of Turkey where there's nowhere else to go unless you're going to evangelize the fish. Now, my brother Ken, he might like to do that because he likes to fish. But um, they're praying or they're waiting. They're concerned. What's going to happen? What are we going to do now? And in verse 9 comes the answer, doesn't it? A vision appeared to Paul in the night. And in verse 10 he says, we discerned or we gathered. We deduced that the Lord was calling us. We were certain of it. The Lord was calling us. Let me just say this about guidance. God guides people who are doing what they already know to do to serve him. Guidance does not come necessarily as we sit back and we think, I wonder what the Lord wants me to do with my life. Can I just give you a piece of advice about that? Just do 
whatever it is you already see to do in the Word of God. Just get busy doing it. And as you do the things that God has already explained... See, we've got a whole book here. People say, let's have a seminar or a workshop on how to know the will of God for your life. Good idea, I say. Read the Bible. In a few words, how to know the will of God for your life? Read the Bible. The problem's not knowing it. Mark Twain, you know, he... Well, he wasn't particularly a fan of the Bible. But he said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things I do. And that's kind of the way we are. If you're doing what God has already told you to do in so much of his will, I don't know about percentages, but if I had to say, I'd probably say 85 or 90% of, it, of what God wants us to do is already revealed in his word. There's so many commands and so much instruction. And we're worried about next year, and God's worried about right now. Well, God's not worried, but his interest is right now. What I do with what he's already told me. And if I'm not doing that, why should he tell me anything else? See? So, they're serving, they're working, and they get to the place where they can't go any further, and then God gives them the guidance. God has an answer for you when you get to that point, but you've got to get there. Don't worry. He knows what he's doing. But you've got to get to that point first in your service to him, in your life, and then he'll show you what the next step is. And that's what he did. They saw a man of Macedonia. How do they know he's from Macedonia? His accent, uh, his clothing. Was he wearing a little tag that said, Hello, I am so-and-so from Macedonia? I don't think so. Uh, but they knew he was from Macedonia. And he says immediately, Paul's the one who had the vision. Verse 10. Immediately, we endeavored to go to Macedonia. So the guidance for the whole group that was with Paul came by God speaking to Paul through this vision. They didn't all run out after that and say, well, now let's see. Uh, Everybody go have your quiet time and read and pray for a couple of days and tell me what you think. God had spoken. And when God speaks, it's not time to pray anymore. Not about that, I mean. When God speaks, it's time to move. See? And so this is what they did. Immediately is the word. You like that word? Well, you like it when you tell your children to do something. (laughs) Yeah. We teach ours. Obedience means now. And some brother said one time, I wish we could teach that to the adults. You have it again in verses 11 and 12. Here They leave and they go right out. And in verse 11 and 12 it says, We came with a straight course. No dilly-dallying around. No stopping along the way. No getting losing track of where you're supposed to be and wandering around. A straight course. Go right and do what the Lord has shown you that you ought to do. That's the way to get there. Well, we've got to go back. We didn't finish verse 10 because we've got to see exactly what it is the Lord called them to do there. This is important. He didn't call them to go start a social work. Is it nice to help people? Yes. Is God interested in helping people? Yes. Does God care about people that are hungry and homeless? Yes. Nothing to be denied about all of that. Absolutely nothing. But God sent them to preach the gospel. That's the word. Not to share the gospel. Share is what you do with your sandwich. Preach is the word in the New Testament. I know, that's one of those old King James words. It's kind of, don't preach at me, people say. They don't like that. But preach is a word that means the herald. You know, in the old movies, the guy who'd ride up on a horse with a, and blow the trumpet, da-da-da-da, and he'd get out this big decree and he'd read it. 
the king said this, and the king, that's the herald. And that's this word. The Greek word, keruso, is a word that means to, to announce something that you know from the king that other people don't know, and they need to know it. And so that's what they did. Now, you don't have to get on a horse to do it. That might be interesting. I never tried doing that from a horse. See, but this is what the Lord wants us to do. There's something that we know. Are you a believer here today? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? If you don't, you need to wake up. Because being here and singing songs and being in good company, and you are in good company, but all that's not going to solve the problem of your life. If you don't know for sure where you would go today if you were to die, and I I hope you don't die. I'm not wishing it on you. But I'm telling you this. That's life's most important question. The most important thing in life is not having a good time or being comfortable. The most important thing in life is to know about our relationship with God, whether we have one or not, to know whether or not our sins are forgiven, to know whether or not we belong to Him. And Paul knew that. And he's going. He's going to preach. He's going to proclaim the good news to people who don't know it. Now, they all had their culture and their family and their traditions and their ideas, but there's one thing they didn't have, and that's the gospel. And the gospel is for everyone. For everyone. So they go, not to do anything except to preach the gospel. Because that's where the trouble is. Man's heart. Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. He describes out of the heart of man, proceed. And then you get that list of things. And when you read it, I think it was D.L. Moody who said, if we took a picture of people's faces, we could open a Photoshop and sell them and make money. But if we took a picture of people's hearts and opened the shop, it would go bankrupt in a week. No one wants to see what comes out of the heart. But Mark chapter 7 tells us all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Your problem, my friend, is not society. Your problem is not the people that don't treat you right. Your problem is not that life does this or that to you. Your problem, the Word of God says, comes from your own heart. And the good news is that God has a solution for that. He can change a heart. He can clean a heart. He can give a person a new heart. He can wipe the slate clean and not put up a new slate. (laughs) No, that's not what God does. He wipes the slate clean. He forgives the sins. All of them, past, present, and future, and no more slate. It's all taken care of by the blood of Christ. And a psychologist can't do that for you. Excuse me if there are any here today. He can never tell you, my son, your sins are forgiven. And the doctor can heal your aches and pains, but not your soul. And the economist can plan your future and your stocks and bonds, but he can't do anything about getting you into heaven. So they have good news and bad news, but it's all in the short run in this life. God has something that lasts forever. And that's what this is about. And that's why we preach the gospel. That's why some people think we obsess on it. Because we know that there is nothing else that can change this world. There's nothing else that can make a life different. There is no other hope. And we're not going to try to give it to people. We're not going to fill up balloons that are just going to be popped by all the circumstances of life. We're going to give them something solid. A hope in Jesus Christ. Sins forgiven and a future forever in heaven. Guaranteed. By the blood of Jesus Christ who died for us. You got a better deal? I'd like to hear about it. But there isn't one. 
There isn't a better deal. So they go to preach the gospel. And they come with a straight course, it says here. And they come to the chief city. In verses 12 and 13, they come with this wonderful message, these men who are experienced in preaching the gospel, and they get into the city of Philippi, and what happens? Nothing. It's kind of like that thing I still remember when I was in college, hearing Bill Cosby telling about the coach in the halftime, and he got them all worked up, you know, what they were going to do, fight, fight, win, win, and they went to go out, and the door was locked, and they couldn't get out. So they got them all worked up, and then nothing happened. They were stuck in the locker room. Well, it says here, uh, verse 12, and we came to Philippi, which is the chief city in that part of Macedonia, in a colony, and we were in the city abiding certain days. It's like we say in Spanish, aquí estamos porque hemos venido. We're here because we came here. And what? And nothing. No parades, the stadiums didn't fill up, the whole city didn't get saved. Listen, the fact that God calls you to do something doesn't mean you're going to see instantaneous and wonderful success in headlines everywhere around you. The work of God does not go on that way. And when people represent it as going on that way, all my little red lights of warning start flashing. This is an apostle, and he's in the will of God. He's where God told him to be, and apparently nothing happened. And there are days like that in the Christian life. And there are weeks like that when you and I cannot see, apparently, anything happening. Well, let me tell you this, friend, brother, sister. God's not asleep. He's not like an old man that started out to do something and forgot what he was going to do. Well, you don't have to be so old. I guess I'm old now. There's anything over 50 is an antique, so that makes me antique by one year. But I already forget what I'm going to do sometimes. I walk through the house and I get into the kitchen and I stand there for a minute and say, what did I come in here for? And I go back to the other end of the house and then I remember and I come running back through the house saying it again, glass of water, glass of water, glass of water. Try so I can remember it when I get in there. My kids think it's great. God doesn't do that. He doesn't start out to do something in our lives or send us somewhere and then forget what's going on. So just because you can't see the future... And you can't see it all working out. Well, where does faith fit in? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith is confidence, unbreakable confidence in God and in His Word. And one day, if you haven't been cured of it, you're going to be cured of confidence in yourself, and you're going to learn to trust in the Lord. Well, I've I got to finish because I'm abusing the clock here. We always fight with each other, me and the clock. But I just want to come and talk to you real briefly here in verses 14 and 15, 13 to 15 about Lydia. Now, this is the only women's meeting I find in the New Testament. But I'm glad it was there. Who knows, but if it wasn't at least an answer, in part, an answer to the prayers of those women that God sent those men to preach the gospel in that city. And I like it when women get together to pray. I'll tell you. Prayer was made there. God knew about it. The apostles were learning about it. And then the gospel was preached there. And we don't have time to get into all of this, but there was a synagogue in Thyatira where Lydia was from. There wasn't one in Philippi because the Jews had rules. You see, you had to have a certain number of men before you could have a synagogue. And there weren't any there. Apparently, there was just a group of women who were interested, but they didn't have any men, so they couldn't have a synagogue. So they're out there by the river praying with Lydia, who'd come from Thyatira, where there was a synagogue. She was a God-fearer. It says uh, she worshipped God. 
But she wasn't saved yet. There are people who fear God, and maybe there's someone here today. You believe that God is there. You respect Him. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't. But maybe you haven't come to the place in your life yet where you know exactly what God has to say to you. And they preached the gospel. She listened. The Lord opened her heart because she was seeking and she listened to the things which were spoken of Paul. And what did, what did Paul say? Well, it doesn't tell you here in verse 14, does it? But if you go back to verse, 12, verse 10, it tells you what he was going to say. He preached the gospel. He told people how to be saved, that you're a sinner, that your life proves it, your character proves it, your thoughts prove it, your deeds, everything about you proves that you are not like God. And that God, instead of determining just to do away with all of us and get rid of the problem, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this world. First Peter says, he bore our sins. He carried our sins in his own body on the tree. When he died on the cross at Calvary, he was paying for the things that we have done that deserve punishment for God. And this is the gospel, that all of those who trust in him are forgiven and have eternal life and a new life. My friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, God can give you a new life. And you don't have to wait until next week. You can have it today. And you can have it before those people get baptized. You can have it before 2 o'clock. You can have it right now. I wouldn't wait. Don't wait for me to close in prayer. You bow your head and start praying right now. Confess your sin and repent of it and turn to the Lord Jesus and He'll save you. He does that. You see, this is what happens. And so she's listening. Her heart is open. If your heart is open, you pay attention. I, I always wonder, like, when I read this about people that don't pay attention. You know, their minds are wandering. Pay attention to the things that are spoken. And that's how you learn about eternal life. And so she's learning. And then the next verse says she was baptized. Well, in the New Testament, they only got baptized when they professed faith in Jesus Christ. You see? And so she's baptized in her household. People say, and the babies too. It doesn't say anything about babies there. If you know anything about life in the Mediterranean countries, in the Middle Eastern countries, you know people live in big families together. So they have older children. They have aunts, uncles, father, mother. Uh, the fact that there's a household could be that she had her parents or her aunt and some servants that were serving her because she's a businesswoman. It doesn't say anything about infants here. So don't try to shoehorn infants in there where there aren't any. There's no, there's no evidence for it. She says, if you judge me to be faithful. And this is what I like about Lydia. Two things. First of all, she obeyed the Lord. She got baptized. She didn't need to do a seminar on baptism. She just needed to do what God said. He said, get baptized. Well, but I want to understand what it... I'm glad you want to understand what it means. You can understand what it means after you get baptized. See, God said to do it. If he said to do it and you trust him and he knows more than you do... Well, and he never makes a mistake, and he never deceives anyone, then why not just go ahead and trust him? You see, that's where the problem is, is confidence in him. So she did it. She was baptized. That's a good sign. The Lord said, he that loves me keeps my commandments. So I see love there. I see that she loved the Lord, and she wanted to do what was pleasing to him. She was learning like Paul to please God. And I hope you're learning to please God. And the next thing I see is, not only did she love God, but it says here in verse 15, she invited them to come and stay in her house. She loved the brethren. Her attitude changed toward those people that she was now a part of their family. And she said, judge me. Am I faithful? She invited them to look at her and to analyze her and discern 
if she was truly a believer or not. Most people say today, the only thing you hear is, oh, you, know, you can't judge. You're not supposed to judge. She said, judge me. Am I faithful? She didn't have anything to hide. A lot of times when we say don't judge, it's because we got something to hide. See? And there are. It's true. There are things we're supposed to judge and things we're not supposed to. But that's another lesson. We've got to get done here. So she loved the Lord and she wanted to obey Him. And she loved the believers and she wanted to be with them and share the things that she had with them. And those are two signs. Those are two evidences of conversion. See? Not that you got a certificate from the church. That could be good or bad. But that your life shows, your actions show that you love the Lord and you want to do what He says and that you love His people. You want to be with them and you want to help them. You want to walk together in the Christian life. I'm glad Paul went to Philippi and preached the gospel. But just let me ask you a question now. Whose life is waiting to be touched by yours? We sang about following. They sang. They did a, a great job, didn't they, about following him. Whose life is waiting to be touched by yours? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for the time together in the word of God and for the encouragement and for the stimulation it is to us spiritually to see the life and the ministry of a man who is determined to live only for Christ. And we realize that we are nothing, even as he said, that he knew that in him, that it was in his flesh, there dwelled no good thing. It wasn't him, and it isn't us. It's you. And we do pray that you will help us to find in these lessons that we've been considering this morning help and encouragement for ourselves as Christians, that our testimony will touch the lives of others, that we will show that we really do love you by doing what you say by pleasing you, by living to do your will and not ours. And we pray for those who are here today that aren't sure, that don't know, that are still confused, that they won't go out those doors in that condition, but that today they will find salvation in Christ. We ask it and we ask that you dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.